Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. I've had a string of incredible shows recently. And uh, I just can't tell you how fortunate I am to sit in this chair to talk to people who care so much about not just Mississippi, but coastal Mississippi. I made a comment to someone recently that the one thing I enjoyed about being the publisher of a newspaper was I didn't have to, to learn what someone thought by talking to someone else. I could, if, I, if I wanted to have a conversation with someone and get their, get their thinking, I could call them directly and, and, and talk to them about it. And it's been, a, it's been a pleasure to be back in this chair in a situation where if I have a sense of, uh, of wanting to know about anything, I can usually get it from the horse's mouth. And it's a great way to stay connected when you care about this this uh, community, when you care about our state. I love staying in touch with some of our most important leaders in the state. And one I'm about to have a conversation with fits that bill perfectly. I want to welcome my friend, uh, Philip Gunn, the Speaker of the House for the state of Mississippi. How you doing, Philip? Hey, Ricky. Great. Thanks for having me on the show. You you put a little pressure on me there saying you've had some incredible shows recently. I hope uh, I hope I live up to that billing. You know what? Uh, you will, believe me. But you know what's interesting? Uh, when I first started, we've done over 600 shows now, which is amazing to me, to That's be honest nice. with you. Time flies. But uh, when we first started the show, the concept of having these longer conversations uh, several people said to me early on, I don't know about that format, Ricky. You're going to run out of people to talk to. <laughs> boy, boy, were they wrong. Because it's, it, you know, every time we turn a, a stone up, three or four possibilities pop out from underneath it. And you know what I've learned, and you know this well, too, from, from your work. There are a lot of people in this state that are doing amazing work. It's in the trenches somewhere. They're not looking for recognition. They're just looking to fill a need. And uh, they're inspiring the people around them every single day. And I love finding those kind of people and bringing them on my show and talking to them about what it is that drives them. But, man, the coast in this state is full of them. And, it, and it's, a, it's a pleasure to continue to find them and share them with, uh, with people across this state. You know what I'm talking about, though, don't you? Oh, absolutely. There are, that's one of the privileges of serving in the legislature is that you get to meet all those people all across the state. And uh, so many places, people are proud of their communities. They're proud of where they live. They want that community to succeed and thrive. They want the state of Mississippi to succeed and thrive. And I've said this repeatedly as I've traveled the state. If, if one area of the state succeeds, the entire state benefits from that. And so we, we all choose to be Mississippians because we love this place. Many of us can live where we want to live, and we choose to live right here. And we're all in this together. We're trying to make Mississippi the best place that it can possibly be. Well, listen, um, one of the things that, that, that I really like about your leadership style is that if you go back and look at some of your most significant legislative uh, successes, there have been um, there have been bipartisan support, and I know you're proud of that. And one of the things I don't like about where the polarized world is today is that you're either on one side or the other. 
yeah, there, oftentimes the, the 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 polarized ends are trying to decide the conversation. Where success often happens, though, is somewhere in the middle. It just it happens somewhere in the middle. There are some people, and really in the Republican Party these days, and this is not a political show, but it's just an it's just an important, I think, observation, and uh, I think it's a, a real feather in your cap as a leader. And that is the point that for for some people. To want to cross the aisle or to bring others into the fold that may have a different philosophical point of view, they immediately say that if you talk to the other side at all, you're a rhino. That's that's the new famous word that you can't even talk to someone who has a different point of view. That's a terrible trend, isn't it? Well, yes, and, and I think that uh, a lot of times people would benefit from understanding how the legislative process works. And I've, I've learned that many of our citizens uh, don't really understand sometimes exactly what is required to, to pass a piece of legislation. And I, I don't want to get off in a ditch here, but the citizens would benefit from knowing that, that, that the, the threshold to pass a piece of legislation changes with the type of bill that it is. So when we're talking about a general bill, which would be Oh, implementing a crime, for example. We, we declare a certain act to be a crime. That's just a general bill. The threshold there is the majority of those present and voting. So I have 122 members in the House of Representatives. Half of that is 61. A majority is 62. So if all 122 members are here that day, I got to have 62 votes to pass a general bill. But if I have a COVID outbreak and I got 30 members out and I've only got 90 people here that day, I can pass a general bill with 46 votes because a majority of those present and voting is only 46. But an appropriation bill, like a teacher pay raise, for example, is a majority of those elected. It's a different standard. And yeah. so if I got 70 people here that day, I still got to get 62 of them to pass an appropriation bill. Now, that leads me to the next threshold, which is a tax or revenue bill. And as you know, the, 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 we gave the largest tax cut in history this last session and emanated from the house. I want to brag on my house members for, for leading out on that. But the threshold there is a three fifths vote. It's not a simple majority. That's 74 votes on my end of the building. So in that instance, you do have to reach across the aisle, whether you want to or not, if we're going to give our citizens a tax break, if we can give them a tax cut, which I would argue most Republicans strongly support, I've got to I got to be able to compile 74 votes on my end of the building. Well, I've only got 75 or six Republicans. So uh, you've got to be able to get every one of them on board or you got to be able to reach across the aisle. And uh, and that's just one example on a, on a, a bill that changes the Constitution. Uh, that's a two thirds vote. That's 81 votes, which means I don't have 81 Republicans. So there are certain situations that require reaching across the aisle. Uh, I will tell you that most of what people see on the news are just those occasions where we end up fussing and fighting. But I would argue that 98% of the time we're all voting alike. It's just those few occasions where we have controversial issues that result in uh, great long debates. And people see that and think that's what we do all the time. And that's just not the case. I think as a state, we all live together. We've got to learn how to get along together. And we may disagree on certain issues. I tell people this all the time. I don't agree with my wife all the time. Uh, certainly don't agree with her 98% of the time. 
but we don't fall out over it and we don't, uh, you know, leave one another. We just learn to, to work through it and get along. And I think the state would be better off if we did more of that rather than trying to make the other the people who, who, who view things differently the enemy. And that's not just between the two parties. That occurs within each of the parties. You have, you know, Republicans who get mad at other Republicans because they don't agree with the way that they think. And uh, we've got to learn how to get along and, and work through these issues like we do in all of our relationships. Listen, I've had a couple of shows recent, recently. Um, there was this really incredible graphic that was put out, and it showed 33 wrong, th- 33 things that are wrong with media today. And it's and when it's, media meaning it could be social media, it could be it could be an app platform that distributes news, it could be CNN. Uh, Fox, you know, any it could be newspapers, any media, and it it showed the complexities of it. The first uh, conversation I had was with Senator Jeremy England, who has given a lot of thought to a lot of this, and he um, he, you know, he's very strong conservative, but he believes that the more you listen to the other side, the better the outcome is going to be, and that you know, compromise and listening is an important characteristic in politics. And too often, unfortunately, it's missing, or at least it's no, we're not talking enough about that. As you pointed out, sometimes it's just a polarizing issue that gets to public, you know, uh, awareness. When in fact, lots of things are happening on a daily basis where you're working closely together. But especially on the national level, and we talked about that. Then I had a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer and, and editor who used to work with me. In in New Orleans, James O'Byrne, who actually lives in France now, is retired, extraordinarily smart guy. But when you think about the complexities of social media and the way they're using advanced artificial intelligence to determine people's news feeds and how it's it, it, it literally encouraging division, enc- encouraging polarization, it, it misleading people, lots of fake news. I could go on and on. You know the whole story. You know what I'm talking about. Um, it makes it harder, doesn't it? It makes it harder to have these, you know, these rational conversations when people have dug in because they've got a news feed that makes it appear that everybody agrees with them. And then when you suddenly don't agree, you're somehow an outlier when, you, in fact, you're not the outlier. The person that you're talking to is actually the outlier but would never admit it. That's a tough part of the conversation, isn't it? Yes, and I grow I grow frustrated with uh the media outlets who, uh, and we're talking print media, we're talking television, we're talking all yeah, forms of right. outlets, who deviate or get away from just reporting the facts. And they they shade the facts to, to fit a particular message they want to deliver, or they uh, sensationalize, or they dramatize something, or, or even put conclusions in an article. Now, there's an editorial page and an opinion page on on most platforms where you can do that kind of thing. But when you're reporting the news, uh, it is frustrating for us as politicians when they slant the facts. I've had many situations where the facts were, all the facts were just not reported. And they will tell you, they may not lie, they may not misrepresent some facts, but they don't include all the facts. Let's do this. Go ahead. Let's continue this part. We're at the end of the segment. We'll actually okay. pick it up right there on the other side. But this is Speaker Philip Gunn from the Mississippi House of Representatives. We'll see you after this break. Thank you.
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend, Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn, with us from Mississippi House of Representatives. And when we went to break, we were just talking about, maybe lamenting to some extent, that media is not what it used to be. And, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to be a publisher for three amazing Pulitzer Prize winning newspapers. And uh, I know what it looks like to work hard to keep bias out of out of the news pages. I know the layers of editors that it takes. I know the kind of conversations that t- go that take place behind the scenes. I know the role of an editorial page. And I, and I really covet the days. Uh, maybe one day we'll see that again. I'm afraid the genie might be a bit out of the bottle now. But I do miss the days where there was a lot of differentiating. Hey, listen, it was even tough then. There were there were there were accusations of bias even then, and yeah. there were accusations of trust even then. But with media fragmentation that has taken place and the and the loss of the layers of editing and oversight and the work around checks and balances and corroboration of sources and all of that, those days are mostly gone now because the the organizations that had most of the journalists we're in the newspapers, and that's that. That just they don't have the resources anymore. It's a it's a kind of a wild west world that we're in now from a media point of view, isn't it, Philip? Well, it feels that way. And, I, and let me first of all say how much I appreciate your your passion for uh, good journalism. I know you were an editor of that paper for many many years, and uh, you you come from the old school. And I've talked to many who are, are my age or, or around my age who come from that day and time where journalists were out to find the truth. And I think that's what we all seek through journalism. We just want the truth. Report the facts, report the truth, and then let the reader draw the conclusion from that. And and that seems that's a, that's a frustrating part from what we do is that they don't always report either the truth or the whole truth. I've been in committee meetings before and seen what took place in the room and then read the article the next day and i'm like i was there that ain't what happened that is not the point it was made and this they are reporting what they want to report they're being selective rather than being truthful and or complete and i think that's what we all long for as readers as as citizens uh, anytime we watch the news anytime we read a newspaper article we just want to know what the facts are we want to know what the truth is and they seem to have forgotten that so many times, and they go into these situations where they are not only re- slanting the reporting, re- selectively reporting what they want to report, but then push forward and tell you how, what you ought to think about it and what conclusions you ought to draw, or raise these these uh, rhetorical questions which I- imply that someone has done something wrong. You know, so those wow. I remember one article a few years ago uh, that the entire article went on about one of my legislators and something they had done. Or the, the headline was, did they do this? And they wrote this entire article speculating whether or not it happened. And then the last sentence of the article was, uh, at the end of the day, they didn't do whatever it was they raised the question about. And that's so many people, you got to read all the way to the end of the article to get the truth. And that uh, the headlines sometimes don't reflect that so yes it's a very frustrating thing to be involved with and i tell people you can't always believe everything you see or hear you know it's it's really unfortunate you know i used to i used to give speeches i gave speeches all the time as a publisher and often i would always say that newspapers were really critical in society i would speak specifically about newspapers and the unique responsibilities we had in the communities we served 
were uniquely important to helping to keep our democracy viable. Now, when I when I would say those words, I would think, God, that sounds kind of textbooky and whatever. It felt, you know, is it? But is it real? And I would come to the realization that it is as real as it possibly can be. But it wasn't until after Hurricane Katrina that I had the opportunity to work to rebuild our newspaper and work in helping to rebuild our community. And, and I, that I really understood this point, that the role of the newspaper is to give facts, as many facts as we possibly can. If we have an editorial view about something, we put it on the editorial page and we have those appropriate fa- fights. But at the end of the day, is to give facts to the citizenry so they can then take those facts and decide how they choose to to, to what their position is going to be on things that we wanted to give them we wanted to give them the information so they could watch after local officials who were trying to decide you know how are we going to rebuild and this is going to rebuild the way that our citizens wanted to uh, want us to rebuild and provide that kind of information but i really came to understand after katrina how critical that role was when that information is provided with bias though it, it, it what happens is you don't have an editorial page anymore. It starts to kind of drift into your journalism. And, you know, I've seen that in Mississippi. I've seen and I won't name any any organization names here, but I've seen bias. Uh, what's happened is you have uh, you have you have what used to be the corporate the corporate uh, newspaper groups now that are owned mostly by venture capital firms. You've got a nonprofit um, uh, journalistic efforts that have come along that are often funded by rich people. And if you start to start kind of look at, you know, follow the money, what you begin to understand is that a lot of times they're not conservative. And so does that affect their ability to cover uh, a state like Mississippi where the, where the, the, the majority or if not all of those statewide leaders are are conservative? So it, uh, it you, you can't help but 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 ask the questions about bias and what I would like to what the last thing I'll say on the subject and you can you can close it out and we'll move on but is that sometimes great reporting can be completely blown up when bias sneaks in or someone's chip on their shoulder that has that has a political bend to it that where they disagree with the political point of view of the person that they're carrying that they're that they're covering. Uh, when that sneaks into the story, this chip on the shoulder, then it uh, it plays well to a certain group of people who disagree with that public official, but it, it's not what I would refer to as, as unbiased, objective information providing, and we've gotten away from that too often in this state, unfortunately, and I hope one day we can get it back again. I, any final word on that? Well, I think the citizens deserve that. I think the citizens deserve the truth. As I said a few minutes ago, I think everybody, what everybody wants is just the, what is the truth? What are the true facts? And let me decide for myself. I will tell you I've had numerous articles written about me, something I've said or something I did or about me personally, where the reporter never even called me for a comment. Now, how, how complete can the reporting be when the reporter never even reaches out to you to say, what do you have to say about this? That in reflects, I think, an agenda, if you will, on their part to make me or whoever the official is look bad. And I've had other occasions where they'll call just to say that they did call, but they'll say, my deadline is an hour. I, you know, I got to go to press at four o'clock. And do you have a comment about this? Well, I had an occasion recently where I was in North Mississippi. I was giving a speech to a Rotary Club in North Mississippi. And I had a meeting in Memphis after that. It was 3.30 in the afternoon before I ever received notification that this particular reporter was going to press with an article at 4 o'clock. 
It just it was not a, it was not a fair attempt to find the truth or to present my side of the issue. It was certainly an agenda on their part to try to present whatever uh, image or impression they wanted the reader to have. And that's that's sad. It's, it's unfortunate that so many in our media have gotten. And I, I will say some are not that way. We can't just. We yeah. can't just paint them all with a broad brush. We can't just do I agree. that. I don't like it when people paint Republicans with a broad brush or lawyers or building contractors. Yes, there are some few bad actors out there. So we can't say that about everybody. But there are some, uh, particularly in Mississippi, who, who want to push an agenda and, as you say, attack Republicans and make them look, all look bad and evil. And that's just not fair or right. It's called narrative reporting. They develop a narrative that's and then true. the reporting fits within the narrative. They don't want reporting that doesn't fit the narrative. And it's a, it's an unfortunate approach, and it's that's not what, what journalism is all about, right. believe me. I, I know well. I've seen great journalism, and that's not great journalism. I, hey, would, liken it, yeah. I would liken it to some preachers, uh, Ricky. And a, a preacher is supposed to tell you what the Bible says. But I've seen some preachers who have a message they want to deliver, and they go find a verse of Scripture that they think supports what they want to say, they read that verse of scripture and then they preach the message they want to preach versus just tell me what the Bible says. And that's yeah. kind of, I think it's a good analogy of what we're talking about here. I think that's a great analogy. And the best, the best preachers, in my case, priests that I have enjoyed are those who don't try to do a lot of interpreting for me. But just tell me what the Bible says. That's what I yeah, mean. Yeah, that, that, is, that is for sure. Listen, I know that during the off times, the legislature, you've got a real job you got to do. You've got, you travel across the state. You have the Neshoba County Fair that occurs, and what a great way to touch base with, with other elected officials and, and citizens. But, you know, there's always something going on in your life, isn't there? Well, yes, sir. I'm, I'm very privileged to serve in the role as speaker, and a lot of people don't even know what, what the speaker is or does, but it is the counterpart to the lieutenant governor. We run the legislature, the lieutenant governor. Uh, presides over the Senate. The Speaker presides over the House. We appoint the committee chairman. We are able to assign the bills to the committees. We put the members on the committees. Um, we are paid the exact same amount of money. We perform the exact same functions. The only difference is the citizens get to vote on the Lieutenant Governor and the members of the House elect the Speaker. So I've been very honored and privileged to be elected by my colleagues in the House now for three terms. And with that comes a whole lot of responsibilities that occur during the off-season. As you rightly point out, the, the, the legislative process does not end for me. Most of our members go back to their normal uh, lifestyles, you know, their normal jobs during the off-season. But there are continuous meetings with people getting prepared for next season. There are a number of legislative organizations that uh, I serve on. Uh, people are always asking me to come and give a legislative report. Uh, recap, if you will, um, Bankers Association. Let's, let's do this. Let's do this. I, I want. We'll, we'll, I actually want to spend the the entire next segment talking about the kind of things people want to talk about. So when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Philip Gunn, the Speaker of the House for Mississippi Legislature. We'll see you when we come back. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast View. I have Philip Gunn, the Speaker of the House for Mississippi Legislature with us. And when we went to break, we're talking about the off-season when you're not in legislature. Your real job, you got to do a real job for a speaker. You're traveling the state. You're talking to various different constituencies. And uh, and people want to talk about the past legislative session and about the, the coming legislative session. Uh, there's no uh, there's no shortage of things to talk about when you're on the road, I bet, huh, Philip? Oh, absolutely. And and I will say that this past legislative session, the 2022 session, was historic. I, uh, I'm very proud of what the legislature did, particularly the House of Representatives where I serve. As you know, we passed the largest teacher pay raise in the history of the state. We passed the largest tax cut in the history of the state. We did uh, medical marijuana. We did the ARPA funds. We balanced the budget. We uh, had about 12 different items that we took on this year, any one of which could have expended a lot of capital, political capital, and a lot of energy and time. You know, we meet three months out of the year, and generally, if you take one major legislative item and you do it, you would call that uh, a successful session. Well, we had about 12 that we did this time. And uh, we were talking earlier about the media. One of the media outlets wrote an article on January the 4th when we convened last year questioning, can Republicans do everything that they've got to do? And they rattled off about seven different major pieces of legislation, many of which I just mentioned, questioning whether or not Republicans could get it done. Well, at the end of the session, I always have a post-session press conference. And when that particular reporter walked into the room, I had that article and I handed it to him. And I said, hey, you wrote an article three months ago questioning whether we could get these things done. I said, you can check the box on every one of them, plus some. And I said, I want you now to write an article telling that we did it. And he laughed. And I didn't. And I said, I'm not kidding. I'm serious. You're going to charge out there and write an article questioning whether we can get these things done. Now you read to write an article giving us credit for getting those things done. So when his article came out, he gave us a paragraph. So I guess that's the best <laughs> I could get. That's the best I could get out of him. Yeah. But they you have to look at that as a win. We didn't get done. But I will tell you, the last session was 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 historic. Uh, as I said, we did about 12 major pieces of legislation that will transform the state, the, the largest tax cut in history, which puts more money back in the pockets of our citizens, which they can better able to, to provide for themselves, improve their quality of life, provide for their children, give more to their church. The list of benefits just goes on and on. The largest teacher pay raise in history. Teachers in Mississippi should be making $15,000 more today than they were 10 years ago when Republicans took over. We have given four teacher pay raises over the last 10 years, a $2,500 raise, a $1,500 raise, a $1,000 raise, and this year a raise, depending on the number of years that they, they served, anywhere between four dollars and $6,000. That's enormous. We combine that with the step raises that they get every year, which is a $500 increase, it's about $15,000. That's huge. So we're delivering on the things that we promised that we would deliver on. And uh, when, when that soft season comes, so many people invite me to come and speak to the Rotary Club or the Lions Club or Republican women or wherever and uh, give that, that legislative recap. And I'm always proud and privileged. I love traveling the state and seeing our citizens and talking to the folks and letting them hear what their legislature is doing. In addition to that, I'm... I've gotten overcommitted, I guess. I've served on a number of national boards uh, that that are politically um, 
minded policy think tanks and that sort of thing. And they have meetings and I have to go to those uh, uh, throughout the year. And then, of course, you have the different associations in Mississippi, like the, the lawyers and the bankers and the nurses and the whoever. And they always have their convention and they're always on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And uh, I get the municipal league, supervisors, sheriff's association. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And I get to come down there and give legislative reports to them as well. In fact, back in 2017, I think it was, I was privileged to serve as the president of the Southern Legislative Conference. This is a, an organization of the 15 southernmost states. And I was the president, which meant I got the privilege of hosting it. And I chose the Mississippi Gulf Coast as the host site. And we had legislators from 15 different states around the southeast come to the Mississippi Gulf Coast and spend four days there. You'll be pleased to know that that conference was the largest in the history of that organization. I was very proud of that fact. And, and what happens is they come to the coast, they have a great time, and they go back home and tell all their constituents and their friends, or we went to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, had a great time. Y'all need to go too. And hopefully we reap benefits from them coming and visiting. So that's just a little bit of an example of the things that I do during the off season. Plus you have people coming to want to talk to you, getting ready for the next year. So we're, in the, we're entering that phase right now. Well, look, uh, you mentioned the Mississippi Municipal League. I, as you as you know, uh, Super Talk did a live remote from there. Uh, I did a Coast View show there live. And here's the here's my observation. Uh, when I pulled up, I really didn't know what to expect, to be honest with you. I pulled up and and got there kind of early, and the parking lot was literally already full. I mean, it was incredible. It was full, and and most of the leaders that I talked to. They were, they were, well, I would think they were not necessarily completely surprised, but they were certainly pleasantly surprised to see how many people were there. And what they think is that during COVID, a lot of leaders had to had to be challenged and had to make adjustments and had to be creative and innovative and so on. Uh, they, they work together probably in ways across jurisdictions in ways they never have before. And they really came to the Mississippi Municipal League meeting this year to touch base with each other, to learn from each other. They're probably more interested in listening to other successes and other possibilities. They really needed to hear from state leaders about the dynamic legislative session that had just happened. But, man, that was uh, it was kind of inspiring to see so many state leaders in one room at one time, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think you're right. You know, for two years, some of these organizations haven't met for two years. They didn't meet in 2020 because of COVID and they chose not to meet in 21 because of COVID. Uh, and this is kind of the first time they've been able to reconvene and, and see one another and they're excited to be there. But that's the benefit of that type of meeting is that they all come to one location. They bring in experts on different issues that these cities and or counties are fighting, water issues, uh, zoning issues garbage collection. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And uh, they are able to share ideas and talk to one another and find out successes and failures that others have had and share ideas and hear from policy experts. So that's the benefit of those types of meetings. You know, I had the opportunity last year, last couple of years, to watch the legislative process pretty closely because I was so passionate about the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund. So because I because of that, and because of staying in touch with some very key people, I was a little bit closer to the legislative process than I normally would be. And, you know, when I look back on the legislative process, especially last year, 
just looked as an outsider watching it. It seemed like a grind to me. And then maybe in some ways the, the 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 reporter that reported what he reported was probably right to some extent that in the typical legislative session you might get one or two big issues done, but you're not going to get a bunch. You're just not going to, especially in an environment where where leaders probably could do a better job of working together at times. I, I'm just just making a general observation about that, but. But here is here, it was a grind, and there was an amazing amount of stuff that was going on behind the scenes. And I don't know if there was ever a time when you weren't in a meeting, in some way, having to be passionate about some aspect. I mean, income tax would have been enough by itself. But when you look back on it, do you feel? I know you see the successes. You ended on a really great uh, note. Found the compromises to find success, etc. But it had to have been a grind to be in your position. Well, this past legislative session, obviously, it's the most historic in modern times. As I said, we did about 12 major things. I wish I had the list here in front of me. I could rattle them off to you. But I mentioned the ones that just come to mind, the largest teacher pay raise, largest uh, tax cut ever, um, the, the, the ARPA funds, distributing the ARPA funds, doing the taking on the medical marijuana, uh, the, the other things that I, I can't recall right now, about 12 huge lifts that that we did and so yes it's 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 very challenging to take on any one of those issues by itself but to take on 12 of them expended a lot of time and energy and political capital and uh it, it is it is a grind and people always say you don't want two things you don't want to see being made and that is sausage and legislation it is a a difficult thing but you know the founders of our country and the founders of our state made it that way on purpose uh, the founders of our country did not want a strong central government. They wanted the power to be reserved to the states. They had just come out of England where they had a strong central figure with the, with the king, and they didn't want that. And so they designed our, our country to be one where the federal government is, is very limited and they can only do certain things that are given to them. Sadly, in my view, unfortunately, over the last 250 years, that has been watered down. And the federal government has, has intruded into our lives more and more, and they've, they've taken for themselves more and more power. But it was designed to make it very hard to pass legislation, but very easy to kill it. They didn't want government having a lot of power. We don't have time to discuss how a bill becomes a law, but there are numerous hurdles that a bill has to overcome. Uh, two or three committee meetings on my end of the building, plus passing the House floor. Then it goes to the Senate, where it's got to go two or three more committee meetings, plus pass the Senate floor. It's changed anyway. It's got to come back down here for approval. Then you got to get it past the governor, who, who could veto it any time. Let's pick it up there, Speaker. This is Speaker Philip Gunn. We'll see you right after this break. Okay. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Special show here on Coast View today with the Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn. And when we went to break, he was explaining this incredible number of steps that have that. I've said this many times on my show before that legislation 
the process is slow for for a purpose. It's to really cre- keep big mistakes from happening. You know, sometimes you still make mistakes. You got to go back and correct them, etc. But it is a cumbersome process. And here's what I would say: watching you and Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman do your jobs, the massive attention to detail that's required. The kind of leadership that you have to have in place that will help kind of shepherd things along. Boy, you had to be hitting on a lot of cylinders this last legislative session to, to get done what y'all got done. Oh, absolutely. A lot of balls in the air. Just to give the, the, the viewers some perspective, uh, there are about 3,000 bills filed every year between House and Senate. We have about anywhere from uh, 15 to 1,700 filed on our end of the building. We have 122 members on our end of the building. That's 122 people with ideas, and they're going to file them in, in the form of a bill. On the other end, you got 52 senators. Uh, they normally have anywhere between 1,300 and 1,500 bills filed. So you add all that up, you're coming close to around 3,000 bills. That changes from year to year, but roughly, just for sake of, of the argument. So that's 3,000 bills that have to be read and contemplated and and digested and considered. Uh, at the end of the day, we sign into law about a tenth of that, somewhere between 250 to 300 are signed each year. And a lot of those are appropriation bills, which are really just passing out the money. They're not, not general bills with new pieces of legislation, so to speak. So the point is, um, there's a lot to be considered in a short you know, three-month window of time and digest it. And we do have deadlines, fortunately, that force us to to meet certain deadlines for legislation to be passed. Some states don't do that, and their legislature just stays in there until they decide to go home. That would be awful. We at least have deadlines that we have to comply with. But the hurdles that a bill has to go through are enormous. Like I said before the break, uh, you got to pass through. Every bill's got to go to a committee. The chairman of that committee could decide he doesn't like that bill and just kill it right there. One guy can kill a bill on my end of the building. Somebody could raise a point of order. And if it's legitimate, that could kill a bill. Uh, Same thing can happen on the Senate side. Um, You fail to get the votes. It's easy to kill legislation. It's very hard to pass it. And the the founders of our nation wanted it that way. So uh, it does force debate and discussion and that's good. That's why we have it that way, so that bills can go to committee, ideas can be debated, batted around. Is this good? Is it not? And uh, hopefully you catch all the the, the, the the angles of a bill, but we all know that, that you can't always anticipate how things are going to play out, and we do have to come back and tweak them from time to time. Sometimes ideas are just not good, and you have to uh, repeal them. But uh, the process is very cumbersome. It's very laborious. And it's designed that way on purpose to make sure that we thoroughly debate, discuss, consider ideas before they go into law. Because when you pass a law, you're you're dictating to the people how they must live. And that's a big, big thing. And for those of us that are Republican, like myself, who believe in smaller government, reduced government, uh, we're very cautious and careful not to to be intrusive on, on the lives of our citizens any more than we have to be. Listen, I mentioned the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund. I had Ed Penny from Ducks Unlimited and Alex Littlejohn from the Nature Conservancy on Super Talk Outdoors in the past week or so. Bright young conservation minds in the state, conservation leaders in the state. But uh, but anyway, they uh, they, they we, I think we're going to hit the ground running. The board of trustees is in place now. They're going to be putting the staff together. I want to say thank you to the, to your leadership in the House who introduced the bill initially. 
Um, I mean, this is going to be a transformative bill. It's going to be something that our kids and our kids' kids are going to be super proud of us for putting in place. And now, with additional federal dollars available, we're going to be able to even take the match to a whole new level. So um, anyway, I know you look back. I mean, it's amazing. Even that, it took a couple of years to get it done. Complex deal. It has an incredible payback for Mississippi. The fact that that was done within the guise of all these other things that we're talking about, what a, what a, what a sweet uh, victory on that one. I agree with that, and you made an excellent point, a point that I wanted to make, and that is that you have federal matching funds that will multiply those dollars. The way this works, and your your listeners may be already aware of this, but we, we basically designated a portion of sales tax from sporting goods to the Outdoor Stewardship Fund, which is you know, for those of us who are big hunters and fishermen. I know you're a big hunter. Uh, you've told me how great you are at hunting. Um <laughs> And and not I love very to good at all. Do what? <laughs> not very good at all. <laughs> I enjoy the process. I know, but I do too. I love to hunt and fish. My children love to hunt and fish. My grandchildren are now engaging in that. And for those of us who are uh, outdoorsmen, this is a way that we can continue to promote that in Mississippi. And it's huge in Mississippi, not only because from an enjoyment standpoint for our citizens, but it is big business. We have a lot of people who come to our state to take advantage of the hunting and the fishing that we have here. So for those who buy, you know, fishing poles and shotguns and whatever, the sales tax from that is put into this, a portion of that sales tax is now put into this fund. And those dollars can be used to draw down some additional federal dollars, which just further enhances our outdoor stewardship opportunities. So this is a it's a no-brainer. It is something that was incredibly popular within the legislature. We were we did pass it last year. Unfortunately, it didn't make it through the process. Going back to what we yeah. talked about, right. how one individual can can mess it up. But we got it done this year. Yeah, so that's going to change. Ten million dollars. Hopefully, we'll have twenty million dollars in subsequent years. That's it's right. been a pleasure to, to catch up with you, Phil Gunn, Speaker of the House. We really appreciate you taking your time with us this morning. Thank you so much for having me on. Always good to be with you. Stay in touch, my friend, and get right. some downtime. Enjoy some downtime. We'll see you soon. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com/slash/SuperTalkMSCoast103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.